Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. One hot uh, Phoenix afternoon, uh, several of my friends and I are, you know, doing what we do, loading a rawhide in a basket, and we hear the scream from the back of the store. And I got called into the office at the end of the day. I thought to sign papers. They had a huge budget cut. And since I wasn't hired yet, I was the first one to be let go. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Laura Wexler. And I'm Jessica Hankin. And today on the podcast, who's going to clean up this mess? Two stories about young folks in the working world getting on-the-job experience they never expected or wanted. This first story is from Stacey Chambers, who shared it at a recent stoop about uh, jobs called Not Gonna Work For Me. Take a listen. Uh, My story takes place in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. It is the late 90s. Hey, Phoenix. Uh, (laughs) It's the late 90s. I am a 16-year-old girl working at a Petco that has not yet been opened. So uh, the store has, like, they've hired a bunch of teenagers to work summer jobs, and we are hanging up dog collars and putting rawhide things in baskets. And there's a lot of delivery drivers that are coming in and out of the store, dropping off boxes. And there is a bathroom in the back of the store where the delivery drivers come and go, so they often use the bathroom. One hot uh, Phoenix afternoon, we, uh, several of my friends and I are, you know, doing what we do, loading up rawhide in a basket, and we hear the scream from the back of the store. And up comes running this girl, Jenny, and she says, someone has hurled in the bathroom and it is a nightmare. And us being teenagers are very excited by this because this is an anomalistic event that is now happening in an otherwise humdrum experience. So the group of us go running back towards the bathroom and I'm the the head of the vanguard of children and I slowly push open the door and as I'm pushing open the door, I see on the floor that there is a squeegee of red fluid moving. And as we open up the door... You all have seen The Shining, I'm assuming, a lot of you. The elevator, red blood pouring out. It's a combination of that and an oscillating sprinkler, just like... And the entirety of the bathroom is is covered in red. And you might think, like, that's a lot of fluid. How, how did that happen? Phoenix, summertime. <laughs> Yeah, there are these things called super tankers, which we would refer to them as, and they are 84 to 120 ounces that you would get at a Circle K or a 7-Eleven of liquid and ice, and that is how you get through a Phoenix summer. You super tanker it. And so I'm assuming it was Mountain Dew Code Red or Hawaiian Punch. (laughs) Yeah, mixed with chunks on the sink, the walls, the toilet, the floor, and everyone is very excited about this. So we're all just taking turns, and by this point, word has spread throughout the store, and all the other kids have also gathered around. 
And so we're just dramatic and uh, gasping and, and making gag noises, and it's hilarious. And there is one adult in the entire store. His name is Mac. He is the manager. Picture Adam Carolla with really bad oral hygiene. And he pushes through all the kids. Let me through. What, what's the hubbub? And he opens the door and gasps and screams, Good God! And is, walks back like he's just like having a heart attack. And he's doubling over and he's making these gagging noises, which is amazing because we're all children and this adult is very shaken up. So we're chuckling and like, <laughs> and he just walks to the front of the store and, and we're thinking, oh, you know, just continuing on with our being juvenile <laughs> children. And he calls everyone to the front of the store over the intercom. And, you know, we follow, the manager has called us to the front of the store. And he says, someone has to clean this up. <laughs> right. So the mood changes. We're not laughing anymore. And uh, he starts scanning the group of, you know, pimply-faced, awkward hormonal children that are, you know, set before him. And he, I notice there's probably 15 kids probably four of which are girls. I am one of them. And he's taking longer on the, on the girls' faces. Gay patriarchy, even in the 90s. And he stops on me. And I'm like, oh, shit. No, no, not me. I'm the cool girl, and I know this. I'm the one who stayed late and lifted heavy boxes and did junk that other people might not do. And, and he looks at me, and he's like... I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Stacy. Yeah, I'll, I'll get you the mop and the bucket, and the and the and before he gets the word rag out, like the the power of the Lord or some other deity takes over in my little tiny sixteen year old brain, and it's like, you're a kid. You actually don't need the money. <laughs> you you live with your grandma, and before he got the word rag out. I was like, I think I can quit in my head. And I'm like, like, I quit? And everybody just like, whoa, what? And then Mac is, okay, princess, you don't have to do it. So he looks at Esmeralda, one of the other girls. He's like, Esme, I'm sorry. You're going to, you're going to. And she also is like, I, I quit? <laughs> yeah. And so he's. You know, like, oh, the girls are just too wimpy. So he looks at Ethan, and he's, and Ethan's like, and he's like, Ethan, uh, you're going to, and Ethan goes, I, I, I quit. <laughs> so then he's like, no, no one's quitting. We're going to let fate decide. And he grabs a piece of paper in this plastic tub and writes everyone's name down, and we're just standing there. And he pulls out a name, and he calls on Sean. He's like, Sean, I'm sorry. And Sean goes, I quit. <laughs> so we've created mutiny for, in this young man's life. And he freaks out and gets red-faced and just throws the tub on the ground, and he storms into his office. And he slams the door, and we're just standing out there. And, and much like Michael Scott from the TV show The Office, he's pacing back and forth. Like, and he puts his head on his desk. He sits down, and, and then he looks up, and he sees we're all staring at him. And he jumps up, and he opens the door. He's like, everybody just go back to what you were doing. 
And none of us had to clean up the vomit. Yay. However, a couple hours later, this woman comes in, sweatpants, ponytail, bewildered look on her face. And we're like, oh, yes, Mac got somebody to clean. It was his girlfriend. (laughs) Now, so that day, I learned how to quit a job when someone asks something of me that I am not comfortable doing. And also what true love looks like. Because (laughs) there's absolutely, which I've never felt before. (laughs) There's no way I would ever do that. Thank you all. And good night. I love that story. I love that, too. I love how they just, there's just a groundswell of proletariat um, surge of I quit, I quit, I quit. It's amazing. And then the girlfriend coming in to do it. I desperately wanted to know what the girlfriend looked like and and what her affect was. (laughs) Um, Anyway, good for for Stacey and those youngins for not taking that and... um, Let's take a short break before we get to our next story of messes. Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Catholic Charities. Celebrating its centennial in 2023, Catholic Charities is the largest private provider of social services in Maryland. Learn more about this movement to change lives at cc-md.org. This next fella who's sharing a story, his name is David Alima, and he is one of the owners, along with his wife, of a beloved ice cream business here in Baltimore. So he is himself a boss. And the story he's sharing here is about um, a job he had very early in his career that he has never been able to forget, and you will hear why. <laughs> and morning, uh, there's blood in this. So it was... 2001, and I had just graduated from Ithaca College. I had a beautiful, shiny degree, and I decided to move to Washington, D.C. to join a bunch of my friends in a beautiful group home, and everything was going right as planned. I uh, had a job interview with the National Distilled Spirit Council, who basically represented all hard alcohol and I had a second interview with them over a fancy DC lunch. And I got my first day. And I go on my first day, and it's a great day. There's like an actual water cooler where people are talking about Survivor. And it was just as I had always like imagined that this could be. And I got called into the office at the end of the day. I thought to sign papers. They had a huge budget cut. and. Since I wasn't hired yet, I was the first one to be let go. So I was like, I was just kind of left without anything. And uh, right after this was 9-11 and amongst like many more important subplots, the DC job market disappeared. So I am interviewing for jobs against people with five years Capitol Hill experience for jobs that I really didn't even want. And... It was, you know, it was kind of a tricky time because I, you know, was having this great social life. I was meeting all these wonderful people in D.C. who were, like, fighting to do all these amazing things, whether it was for physician assistants or dolphins or whatever it was. Everyone was, like, working towards something amazing because that's what D.C. is when you graduate college. And I had nothing. So I printed off my resume, 
and it was a short, short resume. <laughs> and I went basically door to door, and I went to Metro Center, which at the time was this kind of like gritty heart of Center City, D.C., and there was a Tower Records there, and I gave him my resume, and then right next door to it was this like beautiful glass storefront with like a life-size replica of Bruce Lee with the nunchucks, and of course I went in, and it's rows and rows of kung fu movies in there. And I say, I go to the proprietor, a guy named Victor, and I say, you know, are you hiring? He says, no. And we get to talking a little bit, and he's this Russian-Israeli, and my, my dad's an Israeli, so then he's like, okay, you can work here. I think it was, you know, $8 an hour under the table. Not the dream job, but I was happy, and watching a lot of kung fu movies, and you know, learning the, the, about kung fu movies and, and uh, stealing images from different websites to put on our website. It, was, you know, it, wasn't, a, a terrible, it wasn't a terrible way to spend time. Um, one day I, I went in to the shop, and uh, Victor, he goes, uh, you know, we have a, a big problem. There's a rat in the basement. I was like, I, I, okay, let's look up exterminators. I didn't know how to handle this, but I'm going to figure it out for him. And then he reaches under the counter and pulls out a samurai sword. <laughs> and, you know, I, I've been watching a lot of kung fu movies at this time. <laughs> and I just felt like this was my opportunity. <laughs> I'm feeling really, really good about this. So I take this sword and I, I make my way into the basement. And, you know, the shop is lined with these, like, really long, uh, light fluorescent bulbs. And instead of like properly disposing of them, he would just throw them in the basement. So it's all covered in glass. And there was, you know, like a one flickering bulb in the center, like hanging bare. And I, I make my way down the stairs and I see, I see this rat. And I should mention that it was next door to a Popeye's chicken as well. So it was Tower, Us, Popeye's chicken. And uh, this rat, it was the size of a cat. And it was, didn't, it didn't like scamper or scurry. It moved up and down like a wave. <laughs> and it's kind of moving around, and I see it. And I'm like, I I'm going to make my approach. <laughs> so I'm looking it in the eyes. It's moving around. And I'm like, when the glass is crunching beneath my feet, like, it's getting dark and light, dark and light from the flickering bulb. I finally make, get within striking distance. And I look it in the eyes, and it beady little eyes are staring at me. And I sink, I unsheath this sword. <laughs> and it's, it sees me, and it knows what's going to happen. And it tries to move, but its chubby little body just <laughs> couldn't move fast enough. And I just swipe down. And I cut it in half. And I, I hear this like death cry from it. And I pull up the sword and it's dripping blood. And I sheath it back in. And I, you know, I know this isn't like the top like bullet point on the resume. But it felt like I had accomplished something at a job. And it was like the first time in my professional career that it happened. So I go up and, I, you know, I see Victor there, 
And I, you know, I make this big presentation. I bow down and I hand him the sword. And he, he hands me a trash bag. He's like, well, now you got to clean it up. I said, no, I'm not cleaning it up, Vic. We got someone else to clean it. And, um, you know, I wasn't there much longer after that. Um, I ended up moving to Northern California, and I got that dream office job, and I just hated it. And I've been avoiding these office jobs my whole life because I'm not very good at them. And, you know, now I would say that I live my dream life, and I get to, you know, work with my beautiful wife and make ice cream for a living, and I have two beautiful kids, and I live in this amazing city of ours. And I always try to think back to that time and every single other crazy job I had that kind of has led me to this dream life of mine, and I just feel like it's such an incredible journey, and I'm so thrilled to be here. That's a hard story for you. It's hard. Yeah. Laura rat hates rats. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But anyway, I just I love both these stories for the way that they shine light on the experience of like young people working with adults because that's the weird thing yeah. when you're when you're in these early jobs is you're young and other people are old and you're not sure where you stand with them and what you're allowed to do. And or they seem old, but probably in reality they're like 26. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, it turns out they don't always have your best interests at heart. Um, in any case, thanks so much for listening to the episode. We want to thank Maureen Harvey for producing um, the podcast as always. And we will be back soon with more stories from the students.